Our scripture reading tonight is from Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18, and then also the rest of the story in chapter 21. We're trying to hook up the evening services with what happens in the morning service because that's kind of fun to do that. And after um, talking about the virgin birth this morning and the impossibility, the improbability of that, this story uh, came to mind from Genesis chapter 18. So this is what it says. The Lord appeared to Abram near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may wash all then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way, and now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, Get three sias of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. And while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife Sarah? they asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? And then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I didn't laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. So far from chapter 18, and then the rest of the story is in chapter 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. 
And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this evening as we open the scriptures, we meet a woman by the name of Sarai. Well, at this point, it's Sarah. But if we would go back earlier in the book of Genesis, we would know that she was Sarai, S-A-R-A-I. And that name means my princess. And when we first meet her, she was the wife of a man called Abram. Not Abraham yet, but Abram. And his name means, as many of you know, exalted father, which was probably a reference to God. Now, both Abram and Sarai had a common father named Terah, but different mothers. In those days, such marriages were more common. Today, such an incestuous relationship is against the law. Anyway, what their marriage was like, what Abram and Sarai's marriage was like, we really do not know. Actually, we don't know a whole lot about the early personal life of either one of these two people. In Genesis 12, however, we read about a call on Abram's life. God called Abram to leave his home in Haran and go to the land the Lord would show him. And by faith, Abram obeyed the Lord. At age 75, he left home along with his almost 10 years younger wife, Sarai. Now, before Abram left Haran, the Lord informed him that not only was the promised land to be his, but I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. And so it seemed to appear that the exalted father was to truly become a father. Now, while Abram, in his incredible faith, probably accepted God's promise for information and as being true, yet I can't help but wonder how many times he really thought about it. He, he must have wondered at the Lord's words, the Lord's promise. After all, as we are told in Genesis 11, verse 30, now Sarai was barren. She had no children. Sarai was infertile. Infertility, barrenness, is enough to stop anyone from having any descendants, never mind a great nation of descendants or as many descendants as stars in the sky or sand on the beach as the Lord had promised. And with no such thing as in vitro fertilization or any other sort of reproductive technology on hand, it was, humanly speaking, at, time, at that time, impossible for Sarai to get pregnant. Infertility can be a devastating fact to face for any couple. It always brings with it an element of grief and emptiness. And for Sarai, in her situation, it must have been a devastating reality for a number of reasons. 
Number one, being unable to bear children in those days was considered a just ground for divorce. A man wanted a woman who could bear children, preferably boys who could work the fields, receive the inheritance, carry on the family name, look after aging parents, and so on. Sarai was unable to fulfill such a mandate. Later on, every Jewish woman looked for and wanted to be the one to bear the Messiah. So being barren meant that you would never be chosen to bear the Savior. Well, beyond all this, not being able to have children was considered a source of deep shame. And for many in an Old Testament believer, there was a direct connection between being barren and God's curse, as opposed to being able to have children and God's blessing. So Sarai must have lived in sadness and shame and feeling cursed all throughout her child-bearing years and perhaps beyond. It's interesting that in spite of Sarai's inability to have children, Abram remained faithful to her. He didn't divorce her, as was very common in those days. But not only did Abram remain faithful to her, God did as well. In fact, in Genesis 17, you can see it there if you open the Bible to that, when Abram was 99 years old, we read that the Lord made a covenant with him and again informed him that he would be the father of many nations. He'd heard this before. And as if to make sure that Abram understood, God changed at that particular point Abram's name to Abraham, exalted father to father of many nations. And it was at that point that Sarai's name was changed to Sarah, which refers to her as being the mother of nations and kings. My princess to princess, mother of nations. Unbelievable. They were by now 99 and 90 years of age, respectively, and they received new names, names which reflected great fertility in spite of the fact that Sarah had been infertile all her life and now she was past childbearing age. Humanly speaking, what God was proposing was ridiculous. It made no sense. It was impossible. But God did not change his promises. In fact, while at first his promises were very general, as time went on, they became much more specific. At first, God spoke in general terms when he said that Abraham would have many descendants and become a great nation. Abraham, knowing Sarah's condition and seeing nothing of those general promises happening, began to think about how this was going to be. Perhaps the Lord would count his descendants through his servant Eliezer. And so in Genesis 15, verse 3, Abram speaks to God and says, you have given me no children. So guess what, God? A servant in my household will be my heir. But that's not what God had in mind. In response, the Lord became much more specific. The servant, chapter 15, verse 4, the servant isn't going to be your heir, 
but a son will come from your own body. He will be your heir. In fact, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And amazingly, Abram believed what the Lord told him. Surely, he and Sarah must have discussed this often. And as they thought about what the Lord had told them, they must have reminded each other that God's promise had said that a son would come from Abram's body. But that didn't necessarily mean that Sarah had to be the natural mother, did it? And so Sarah, to help out the Lord with his promises, we always feel we need to help the Lord a little bit along the way, gave Abraham, her servant, Hagar, with the idea that the descendants would come then through that union. Ishmael came from that union. But in Genesis 17, verse 15 and 16, God told Abram in no uncertain terms, as for Sarah, your wife, I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her, I will bless her. She will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. And then when Abraham heard these words, he fell down before the Lord and laughed. And he said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? Verse 17 of chapter 17. In spite of his faith and his acceptance of God's promises, nonetheless, it all sounded a little startling, a little stunning, a little preposterous, and so Abraham laughed. Ishmael would surely do as a descendant, but that's not what the Lord had promised or had in mind. God had said, your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac, I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Ishmael will be blessed, but my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. Now it's very specific. And Abraham must have been awed and he must have been mystified by that specific message given by the Lord. I'm not sure if Abraham told all of this to Sarah. I'm not sure how much she told to Sarah, but Sarah certainly found out soon enough for herself. It was as if the Lord came to physically confirm what he had promised to Abraham in the covenant of grace from Genesis 17, because immediately following chapter 17, we get the story of the three men who came to visit Abraham and Sarah at their tent in the middle of the day at Mamre. Now, as per usual, guests were always treated with great respect and like royalty by those who lived in the desert. Abraham pulled out all the stops, and the three guests were treated to a grand dinner. Sarah, being a good and proper wife in that culture, didn't come into the company of the guests. She stayed in the tent and would eat later. Then after food had been provided, the guests of all things asked Abraham where his wife was. A very unusual question because a desert traveled, traveler in those days would never ask about the wife of the host. But this was different because this was the Lord asking. 
And we can be sure that the Lord, who was sitting there eating that grand feast, knew that Sarah was in the tent, that she was eavesdropping, but he asked nonetheless. And once Abraham answered that she was in the tent, the Lord restated his promise of the past, but now he became very specific. Next year, I will come back and Sarah will have a son. She will become pregnant. Old Sarah, pregnant. Well, she was standing behind the tent flap. And from her perspective, this was just all too preposterous. She had, of course, overheard the remark of the visitor. And Sarah's comment in chapter 18, verse 12, represents what she thought to herself. Probably not what she said aloud. The gist of it was, I'm too old to even enjoy sex with my husband, let alone get pregnant and bear a child. And adding up all the human factors, she concluded that she could not in any way bear a son at age 90. I'm going to have the pleasure of having a son at this stage of my life with such an old husband? Sarah couldn't believe it. Right, Lord, tell me another one. Come on, you've got to be kidding. And she laughed. And in that response and in that laughter, Sarah showed her weakness, her humanness, and something of her unbelief. There seems to be a difference between Abraham's laughter of chapter 17, verse 7, and Sarah's laughter, as seen in the fact that the Lord nowhere rebuked Abraham for his laughing, but he did rebuke Sarah. Abraham laughed out of surprise or astonishment at what God had said, but his faith never failed. But Sarah's laughter was somewhat different. It stemmed from her unbelief, which stemmed from her looking at things from a human perspective. Sarah was confronted about her laughter, and she was rebuked. She had to own up to it and was convicted. And when Sarah laughed, she laughed at the foolishness of the Lord. But this foolishness was not nonsense, not real foolishness. God's promises never are. God's word never is. And his promise was not based on or dependent upon the biological state of a woman, but his promise was dependent on his word. And that's so cool. And to Sarah, he declared that he would do what he promised, even if the situation seemed impossible to Sarah. And surely, if God can show up at Abraham's tent the way he did, Sarah could become pregnant. But Sarah laughed. Now, I wouldn't be too quick to condemn Sarah. Uh, my suspicion is, thinking and knowing about myself, I probably would have laughed had I been in her shoes too. I would have thought it was just ridiculous. From a human perspective, the promise sounded so ridiculous, so laughable. But think about it for a minute. The gospel sounds so ridiculous at times, doesn't it? Paul writes about that in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles. 
For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. The weakness of God is, wise, is stronger than man's strength. So think about all that for a moment with me. The gospel can seem so ridiculous and provide such contrast or perhaps even contradictions. For example, I'm a sinner. I know I am. Unable to live according to God's commandments, and yet I am called in Christ. I am called righteous. It's as if I had never sinned or been a sinner. I am living in despair, and then the Lord tells me I have hope. The future looks bleak for me, my family, our country, for this world, and yet God speaks about a bright future. I'm dying of some illness or some disease, and of all things, the Lord talks about life. I'm filled with tears and sorrow and see no end in the sight, and the Lord tells me there will come a day when there will be no more tears or sorrow. I see a church that's being battered on every side by scandals of all sorts and by liberal theology. I see a church that's filled with a lot of people who don't seem to care, who don't come anymore, who leave at a moment's notice, or by people who don't understand what it, seems, what it means to be a disciple. And yet the Lord tells me that even hell cannot overcome the church. I stand at the deathbed of a parent or a loved one, and I've been to a funeral and to a cemetery, and soil covers the casket, and yet there is talk about the resurrection of the dead. I've heard the words of the Lord, train up a child in the way of the Lord, and when he is old, he will not depart from it, and yet I have seen children walk away from everything that they have ever learned. I've talked to others about my faith, I've not had anybody come to Christ, and yet I constantly hear about how the harvest is ripe for the picking. I've pounded the doors of heaven. I've prayed in faith and with hope and with trust that God would do something in a particular situation, but nothing happened. And yet God tells me, he who asks receives. Impossibility seems to be the theme of the Bible. And in the midst of all those situations and probably other ones that you can think of, it's easy to become cynical as Sarah did and to laugh at God's foolishness. Come on, Lord, we all know that death is the end. How can something that is dead come to life again? Come on, Lord, we, there is no end to the tunnel of my despair. Why do you keep filling me with false hope? And so we laugh, and others laugh at God for talking about and promising the impossible. A 90-year-old woman having a baby. Come on, that's ridiculous. But then we go to the rest of the story. Genesis 21, verse 2 tells us Sarah had her baby. She had a son, just as God had promised. We may have laughed, and Sarah may have laughed, but as the old saying goes, I'm not sure it's applicable to this because I'm not sure that God does this, but he who laughs last laughs best. And I suspect in these kind of situations, God must have shaken his head and laughed at the foolishness of Sarah, thinking that there were limitations on what he could do. 
He must have shaken his head at the limitations Sarah put on his power and faithfulness as he must shake his head and laugh at the confines that we often put on the Lord. Abraham and Sarah had God's promises, but since it seemed impossible to them, they thought they would help him, and they put their own procedures in place for God to follow. There's Eliezer. Here's Hagar. But God rejected both. He said, that's not the way I'm going to go. It's my way. And you have to be solely dependent upon me and not on human conditions or plans. And it's so interesting to me that the son that Sarah bore was called Isaac, meaning laughter, or he laughs. God made laughter a reminder that salvation is at work in spite of all the odds against it. And his laughter continued. Years later, another barren woman was told that she would have a son. The past child-bearing couple, Elizabeth and Zachariah, were to become parents of the forerunner of Jesus, namely John the Baptist. They were also well past child-bearing age. Zechariah didn't believe it when he was told, and he was struck dumb until John was born, and then his tongue was loosed and he sang the praise of the Lord. At the same time, as we heard this morning, a young virgin girl was informed by the angel Gabriel that she would become the mother of Jesus. Without having sexual relations with a man and with no scientific interference, Mary would become pregnant. Impossible. Humanly speaking, yes. But the angel said, with God, all things are possible. The Messiah is coming. The King is coming, was the message proclaimed by the Old Testament prophets. But get this, he would be a humble king. And he would be a king that would hang on a cross, accursed and guilty of sin, and he would die. Ridiculous, impossible, laughter. Who's ever heard of such a king, such a savior? But again, he who laughs last, laughs best. For by Jesus' death on that cross, he gained the victory over sin and over death. Impossibility may seem to be the theme of the Bible. Foolishness may be a characteristic that we want to put on God. But when we look at the Lord, to the Lord, and we see who he is, and when we see the whole plan of salvation, then suddenly everything is possible. The world fell. God sent his son. All my sin is forgiven. And in spite of my sin, I am righteous in his sight for Jesus' sake. There's hope for this world and there's hope for me. There's a bright future in the new Jerusalem. The grave does not have the last word. The church will not collapse and tears will not continue. Many ordinary believers sometimes struggle with unbelief. And I get that, and such unbelief often stems from a human perspective that leaves kind, of, leaves, kind of leaves God out of the equation. Let's face it, and that's easy to do because in so many ways we are, especially in this culture, very self-sufficient. Often we have it all figured out how God is going to work. But our God is an awesome God who is not 
dependent on us. Isaac was born in spite of Sarah's laughter. God had the last laugh as he always does. He is not foolish, nor is his way foolish. You see, being a Christian is more than just saying so. Being a believer is someone who takes God at his word and who understands that nothing is too hard for the Lord. And sometimes we need to hear that simple message once again like Sarah did. There is nothing he cannot do, simple but true. There is no life he cannot change. There is no situation he cannot transform. There is no temptation he cannot help you overcome. There is no difficulty he cannot overcome. There is no sin he cannot forgive. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Nothing. Why? Because he is the Lord, our faithful God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this gospel message which spans all of time, which shall reminds us once again of how faithful you are in spite of us. Lord, these stories that we read this evening make us chuckle and make us smile. And we, th we, we understand where Sarah was coming from. We get that. How could it be that a 90-year-old woman gives birth to a child and has a son? How could it be that old Elizabeth gives birth to a son? How could it be that a virgin gives birth to a son? And yet with you, all things are possible. And for that, O oh Lord, we are so grateful. We praise you for the wonder of the gospel the wonder of the good news of Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that we may understand, that we may respond, that we may rejoice, and that we may give you all the glory. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us again that you truly are our God and that we are your people and there is nothing that can separate us from your love. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond.